misconceptions about money. Are you ready? Misconception number one. There is a misconception in the minds that I've seen of some Christians that money is evil. And they, they base this on a passage in Scripture, 1 Timothy 6.10. And I put it up there for you. So let's read it together. Are you ready? For money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I've heard this said so many times to me, and this is an uh, incorrect translation of what the Scriptures say. Paul did not say to Timothy that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Look at the second verse. That's the correct translation. The first one was the Nino mistranslation on purpose. I know, funny. Huh? Tried to be. Um, Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Money is not, a root, is not the root of all sorts of evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. For example, there's other passages if you're taking notes. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Do not be addicted to wine, but be gentle, uncontentious, and be free from the love of money. Listen to Hebrews 13.5. Paul the apostle speaking in Hebrews says this, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The love of money is certainly an evil in our world today. And the lustful pursuit of it has led to many, many, many kinds of evil. And that the scriptures are clear. But money is simply a technology. It's a tool or a technology. That's all it is. It would be like, people that say money is evil would be like this. Well, you know, there was a guy that went to the bar, and he drank too much. He got drunk. He got in his vehicle. He drove home. He ran into a family and killed the entire family. Therefore, vehicles are evil. Vehicles are not evil. The man's choice was evil. The man did something evil. He got drunk and he misused a technology for evil purposes, but that doesn't mean that vehicles are now evil. Money can be used improperly and money can be used properly. And so in Taboo Topics number one, we're going to talk about how do you use money properly? What is the proper way for a Christian to interact with money and to use it the way it's supposed to be used? Okay, um, no, but there's, before we get into it, uh, we're going to talk about one other um, misconception about money. Number two, it's already there. Look at that. Churches that say a believer will be blessed when he gives money are teaching greed. I've heard this repeatedly. If, if the church teaches that if people give money, they'll be blessed, that you're teaching greed. It's like prosperity gospel, you know, it's wrong. Okay. I want to just be really clear. And I've said this before. If you've been in H2O for more than a year, you probably heard me say it. Forgive me. I'm going to say it again. We have never taught greed. We, we teach that greed is certainly one of the many, many sins that we can fall into. Greed is wrong. Greed is sin. And we will never teach that we should be greedy. But we, sometimes we struggle with greed. I'm, I have. I bet if I, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. 
Man, I always get uncomfortable when people, thank you, uh, when pastors ask me, you know, has anybody struggled with this? I'm like, I don't want to, you know, raise my hand. So I'm not going to say, has anybody been greedy? I already know you all have probably done that before, okay? So if greed is a temptation in your life or greed is, is something you're battling, the way to break it is to give from a willing and generous heart. That's how you slaughter greed. You relinquish control and you give generously and you bless people. Instead of coming with hands of like, give me, give me, give me, you extend a hand of grace. T- take this and be blessed. So teaching, saying that when, when we tell people to give and they'll be blessed is in, inciting greed makes no sense. Because giving from a willing and pure heart breaks greed. Now, certainly you can give from the wrong heart, but that's not my sermon today. We're not going to get into that. Jesus did talk a lot about that, and we can get into that another time. So um, the way that we can break greed and the, way, the first way that we can handle money properly is by becoming a generous giver. And so today we're going to talk about giving. There are many types of giving in the scriptures. We've talked a lot about missions giving, and many of you are doing this, giving to the missions fund. There is a type of giving called almsgiving, when you would extend um, your time or your wealth to the poor. But there is a foundational giving called the tithe. And the tithe is, it serves as the bedrock of an entire life of generosity. If you want to live a life as a Christian of generosity and radical giving, the foundation of that whole structure of your life, that building that you're letting God build through you, is tithing. And so today we're going to talk about the tithe. Now we're going to get nerd mode. We're going to jump into the scriptures. And I love, because we're going to get historical, we're going to jump in, and we're going to go to the, to the beginning, because the first thing I want to talk about with you is the origin of tithing. And to understand the origin of tithing and where it grew out of, the fertile soil from where it sprung, you have to go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis. So we're going to go back to Genesis. And we're going to go to Genesis 14, and we're going to look at a story of Abraham and everybody's favorite priest, the mysterious Melchizedek. Now, um, let me give a little historical background to what's happening here. Um, You can see Abram, who became Abraham, on the right, and you can see Melchizedek on the left. Now, let me give a, a little background. Abraham has a nephew that he loves and is very dear to him, and his name is Lot. And Abraham and Lot became very wealthy, and God had blessed them, and the land couldn't support them. They spread out, and Abraham went one way, and Lot went the other. Lot went to a city called Sodom. You've heard of this city. And Lot settled among the the men and women of Sodom. Now, when you hear the word Sodom, you're probably thinking of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that came upon them in Genesis 19 for their grievous sins. But we're not at that point yet. At this point in time, Sodom is a functioning city with commerce and families and people, and Lot is living there with his family. Now, there was a king of Sodom, and there was a king of a city next to it called Gomorrah, the king of Gomorrah. And there was many other kings. Well, a war broke out. And five kings aligned together And they went to war against Sodom and Gomorrah, and they conquered Sodom and Gomorrah. They destroyed those cities, and they took all of their wealth as plunder, and they took the people as captives. And and Lot was one of them, and Lot was captured by those five kings, and he was 
taken away from the city. Messengers came and told Abram. And I'll tell you what, man. I mean, Abraham is such an amazing man. I mean, he's the father of our faith. You think about Abraham, you think of him uh, building altars to the Lord. You think of him being willing to sacrifice his own son because God asked him to do it. You think of his trust. You think of him leaving his city of Ur of the Chaldeans, going to a land that he had never seen because God said, go to this land. And he said, yes, God, I will do that. You think of all these things that Abraham did, and that's what I think of. But in my preparation for this sermon, I didn't realize that he was like beast mode, alpha mode. I mean, think about it. They came to him and he said, we're going to go get Lot. How are you going to get it? I'm going to take my 300 men. We're going to get Lot back. He only had 300 men. They went out to battle. He destroyed all five kings. He took all the possessions, gave them back to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, um, and he took Lot and he rescued his nephew. That's amazing to me. I don't know. That gets me pumped up. That's a side of Abraham I never knew. It's like, yeah, he's a man of God, but don't cross him. So, uh, so he goes and he rescues Lot. Now, on the way back from the battle, this is where we get to this. There's this king, a priest, of a city called Salem, translated as peace. And this mysterious figure that we don't really hear much about in the scriptures a couple other times and then in the um, letter to the Hebrews it's developed extensively we see this king or priest he was a priest and a king he comes out to Abraham and let me let me read what happens and they meet after Abraham has won the battle this is Genesis 14 17 through 20 if you want to write it down I'll read it to you after Abraham's return from the defeat of the kings who are with him the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High. And he blessed Abraham, and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So let's stop right there. There's one more verse, but I want to stop. The greater blesses the lesser. Abram is the man of faith, the one that was given the promises, but yet you have this mysterious priest that is actually not in a posture of kneeling for Abraham to receive the blessing, but he extends his hand and blesses Abram. And he blesses Abram and pronounces this great blessing over him. And um, what did Abram do? Now listen to this. This is the final verse here. So Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram then gave a tenth of his possessions to this priest. This is the origin of, in the scriptures, of tithing. The word tithe means 10%, okay? Basic math. So Abram is blessed by the priest, and he gives a tenth of his possessions to this priest, this mysterious priest. So this is the first mention we see in Genesis of the tithe and giving the tithe away. Now, the second origin story is a fantastic story because this is one of the most, um, this is a story of one of the most complicated Bible characters in the entire scriptures. And his name is Jacob. 
Jacob is an incredibly complex man, the usurper of the blessing, um, father of the most potentially dysfunctional family in all of the scriptures. I mean, if you don't know what happened, you just read the story. I mean, you guys think, you know, hey, I'm in the emerging generation. We're dysfunctional. You don't even know dysfunctional. I mean, this was, I'm not trying to, to I, I shouldn't say that. If you've had a rough upbringing, I'm not trying to be callous and insensitive. I know many of you have, but this was strange. This was dysfunctional. And this is Jacob. But in the, in the middle of Jacob's humanity, his messed upness, was this, this heart for God. In the midst of the curses and the generational stuff, he had a heart for God. And you see it in the story of Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder. And so, of course, you can't really see it clear on this screen because we're using Zoom for the, for the presentation. But this is a picture of Jacob lying down. There's a ladder coming up. And on this ladder are angels ascending and descending. And I'm going to read this to you because this was a decisive moment in the life of Jacob. And it's a second origin of the concept of tithing. Not just the concept, but the practice of tithing. So let's listen to it. If you're taking notes, this is Genesis 28, verse 20. Genesis 28, 20 through 22. So actually, let me say one more thing. Sorry. Um, Jacob falls asleep. He has this dream. It's a massive, massive encounter with God, as I said. He sees angels ascending and descending to heaven and back. He has his head on a stone. He slept all night. He wakes up, and the dream was so, it shook him so much. It was so strong that he said, this is none other than the Beth-El, the house of God. El, God, Beth, house. So he said, we will call this place Beth-El. Or you've heard churches maybe called Bethel. That's where they get this from, the house of God. He said, I will use this stone that I slept on to be a cornerstone for the house of God that I will build. This is the context of it. Now, I want you to look at one other, listen to what else happened and what he proclaimed when this moment occurred. Listen to this. Jacob made a vow and he said, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will get, and, will, and if he will give me bread to eat, and clothing to wear, so that I may come to my father's house again in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. Now listen to this very closely. And all that you give me, I will give a full 10% to you. Let's listen to that again. This is how he responded to the most powerful encounter with God in his life up to this point in time. He said, everything you give me, I'll give you a 10%. Why did he do this? This is so interesting. Well, here's what I believe. As young, and this is, gets me excited, especially for people your age, because Jacob was a young man at this point in time. He wasn't even married yet. There comes a time in your life where there are certain things that you have to give over to God if you want God to do a maximum work in you and through you. One of them is um, sexual purity. And this is part two that we're going to get to. There comes a time in every woman's life, every man's life, where you have to say, I will honor God in my sexual purity. It, it, if you don't go all in on this, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but you are not going to have maximum potential impact for the kingdom of God. It, it, is, it is a sacrifice that must be made. 
why is that? Because it's such a fundamental urge within your DNA, right? The desire to procreate. And if you misuse this, it can lead to the greatest bondage and destruction of your lives. And just look at the world today. Look at what we see happening. So it's when you get to a point and you say, this is a, a God-given urge to be married and to procreate children, and it's a good thing, but it's been made crooked by my flesh and by the devil, but I will crucify it. I'm going to lay it down. I remember doing this uh, before Tammy and I met at a SALT conference. We just got back from SALT. Oh, man, I'll never forget that. We can't, we'll get into that in part two. But it was like, I, I put that, that silver spike at the heart of Dracula, and I nailed it in. I'm going to kill it. This, this is a defining moment. No longer will I be a slave to my lustful passions. A young person has to come to this point. Every person, every Christian. Another desire is that we have a strong desire that's a good desire is food. It's kind of important. If you don't eat food, you die. Okay? So food is a great thing. It's wonderful. And I love food. I love to cook. I love the smell. This ask Tammy. I mean, I, she doesn't get excited about food. I, lo- I love to cook. I don't like to overeat, but I love to eat. And that's why fasting is so important. Because when you fast from food, you're saying no to an even more uh, base level, fundamental urge than even sex. It's the urge to survive. I mean, if, if anybody has dogs, does anybody have dogs? They even grow up with pets. What do they do when they get around food? Yeah, kid, that's right. They devour because it's, and it's not wrong. It's an urge. So when you say no to that, I will, I will deny my, my, my desire for, for nutrition to seek God, that's a huge step as a young person to grow. Well, I believe Jacob had to make this decision, and you do as well, in the area of money. Because if you don't control money, if you don't make this decision early on to control money, it will control you, right? So money is, remember, it's a technology or it's a tool, but it can become a a slave master. But if you will use it, you can be this men and women, women of God that can do great things for the kingdom using money. So I believe what Jacob was doing was saying, you're going to be my God, and I will not allow money to hold me. I'll give you 10%, just like my grandpa did. His grandfather was Abraham, right? So you see the origin of tithe. Abram tithe, Jacob tithe. Now, something I want to do in my message is to raise some potential objections to tithing. Um, I don't do this a lot. I like this form of teaching. I think I've only done it a couple times, and Andrew Muyanja liked it. Now, that's not saying much because he likes all my sermons. He's the kindest person ever. Every time I preach, he comes up to me and says, Pastor Nino, wonderful sermon. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. You're just nice. You're an effort. You're a firmer. But he liked when I brought up objections. So are you ready? Objections. Let's go for it. Here's one objection that I have heard of why people don't tithe, which, again, forms the foundation of a life of generosity. Tithing objection number one, I don't have enough money to tithe. Let's keep just that slide up. I don't have enough money to tithe. If I had more, I would. So let me just say this. I want to answer this objection going back to last week when our very own Elliot did a fantastic job teaching on stewardship um, with the the talents. And that was a fantastic message. And and one of the main takeaways that you, you told us was this principle. If you're faithful in small things, you'll be entrusted with greater things. If you, 
you say you don't have enough money to tithe now. If you're not faithful tithing on $500, you will probably not tithe on $5,000. You will not tithe on $50,000. You will not tithe on $500,000. Now, you might say, oh, that's not true because if I had 500000 if somebody gave me $500,000, I'd give away fifty. I'd have four hundred fifty left. No, that's not what stops people from tithing. People that don't tithe focus on what they don't have, not what they have. See, so the eyes are on what I don't have if I give it away, not what I do have. And so I've seen this before. If you can't tithe on small amounts, you won't tithe on big. Now, I didn't tithe. It was very hard for me. I am, everybody has a natural bent in life in terms of how they interact with money. Some are spenders. Have the spenders here? Woo! Yay! Some are savers. Have the savers? Yay! The boring people. Okay. Yeah. So I am a saver. And so uh, when, when I had my first job, I was 13 years old. I was, a, we don't have these things anymore, but they were called papers, like the paper route. People used to read paper with ink on it. I know. They did. So I was a paper boy. And I would deliver papers, and Tammy was a paper girl. How romantic. And, and I would deliver papers. Uh, Caleb should have seen me. I, I would just I'd fold them, rubber band them, and I would just, it was awesome, man, right, right on the front porch. And then I would collect the money. So all that to say, I made about $150 uh, a month at 13. Now, gasoline was 89 cents a gallon. My parents' house was $20,000. Okay, so just understand, there's inflation, so it might not seem like a lot, but 150 was a lot back in 1983. So I would get $150 cash, and I, and, and I would put it, and I had my little, pot, we had pouches, and you zip it. Zzz, did you have one of those? Oh, yeah, keep your money in it. That was my little kind of piggy bank. And I would spend money, I would take about 4 to $8 out of that every month, and I would go to the T-shirt factory, and I would play Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. But this is the real Donkey Kong. I mean, the real arcade game when it first came out, and it was the craze. And there would be like 20 guys around it watching Pac-Man. So I would spend $4 if I wanted to be really loose with my money, 8 And I would keep all the rest. I never spent any of it. And I saved thousands and thousands of dollars by the time I was a teenager. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a saver. Right? That, that's just my natural bent. I get more pleasure out of saving than I do spending. I know, it's weird. Um, but because of that, it made it, it was really hard for me to tithe. Now, spenders, your problem might be because you, you spend everything. You're like, I don't have anything to spend to tithe. I had plenty to tithe. I just didn't want to. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Spenders, hey, I got nothing left. All right, we're going to get to you in a minute. Um, but for me, it was, I didn't tithe. It was very hard to do that. And I had to have a Jacob moment. And I was 21, going on 22 years old, so similar to many of your age. And I made a decision to start tithing. My income was $600 a month at that point in time. And I began to tithe $60. And that was hard. But I did it. I said, Lord, if you will be my God and you will bless me, I will honor you with my wealth. And I began at that point in time. And then Tammy and I were married. And, we've, and Tammy's a giver. I mean, she's like the... You're a saver, you're frugal, you're wise, and you're a giver. She's the whole package. She's not an overspender, but she loves to give. If, if I feel like the Lord told us to give amount of money, it could be a dollar, a million dollars, whatever. I go to her, she'd be like, yep, let's give it. I mean, it's just whatever. If the Lord said it, give it, you know. So amazing. 
So we got married, and we began the practice tithing together as a family, and we've done that ever since. And even when our income was very, very, very small, she can, <clears throat> she can tell you about when she met Nino. I had, like, one shirt, holy pants. I had a 1980 Chevy Citation. That thing was something else. The parts were cheap, which was good. And I did all the work myself, and Farmer Earl helped me. But I had, like, nothing. You know what I mean? She did not, was not attracted to me because of my money. I mean, nothing. It's a true story. But, 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 oh, yeah, oh, you guys ever had the headliners that come down? Oh, okay. So, but we made a decision to tithe and to honor God above and beyond the tithe. And the Lord has been faithful to us ever since. In our entire life, our whole marriage, we have more and more and more and more t- to give and to give. And it's amazing. So, first, that first tithing objection, I hope I answered it. Tithing, um, uh, answer number two to this objection, I don't have enough money. This is for the spenders, because I just picked on me. Now, can I p- pick on you, spenders? Probably it's not an issue that you don't have enough money. It's that you waste too much, and that's why you don't have it. I, one thing I've noticed about your generation that you spend money on way more than our generation is eating out. You guys love DoorDash and this, that, and that. I'm like, you're spending... All this money. I don't understand. I used to, when we were married, we'd go to McDonald's and I'd be like, they raised the price of the quarter pounder meal to $3.10. I was mad. I'm like, this is $2.99. I've worked there for four years. This is ridiculous. I'm not buying it. We were on our honeymoon. I was in Boston. I'm like, it's $3.99 for a Big Mac meal. No, I walk out. See ya. I'm out. I don't spend money on food. I'm like, I'd rather get the eggs and, and fresh Bob Evans at the store. I make my own food. It tastes so good. It's cheaper. So for you guys that say, I don't have enough money, probably what it is is you're spending money, you're wasting money more than 10%. Now, for some of you, you're not, and I'm not trying to say it's blanket because some of you are like as tight as a drum. You know what I mean? You don't spend anything. But for some of you, <clears throat> if you're thinking, if I, if I had more, I'd tithe. Check your expenditures. See where you're putting your money. Are there any leaks? Are you leaking it, you know? No, I am not saying that you're not supposed to have fun. Trust me. I love to have fun. I spend money. There's nothing wrong with spending money. Um, but just when it comes to tithe, it's wrong to spend money and not have tithe. But if you've done the tithe and you want to spend all your money that's left, go for it. It's still dumb. But you can do that. <laughs> Okay, so that's the origin, that's the origin of tithing, Abraham and Isaac. This, this was carried over into the people of Israel, and I don't want to spend time on this, hardly at all, but it was codified under the Mosaic Law. And some of you know this. The tithe became part of the Mosaic Law. Moses delivered this from God down to the people of Israel, and it became part of their life. The tithe was called holy to the Lord. You can see this throughout Genesis, Genesis 27 if you're taking notes. Now, what would happen is the people of Israel, these are the descendants of Abraham, would have this massive religious pilgrimage every year. They would come to Jerusalem with songs and dancing, and they would bring their sacrifices, and they would bring their tithe. And they'd bring their tithe to the temple, and they'd present it to the Levites. Um, and, uh, And it was just this huge celebration. It was their big festival. Now, that, so this was, this was codified under the Mosaic Law practiced by the Levites um, and practiced by the people of Israel. Uh, 
And this leads me to tithing objection number two. Are you ready? Tithing objection two. I don't believe that I'm supposed to bring my tithe to the local church. I can give it wherever I choose. Well, that's a good objection. Let's talk about that. While I certainly believe that you and I are free to tithe anywhere we want because no one is using force to compel us, right? We have a freedom to give our tithe anywhere. No one has a gun to my head. They're not going to put me in jail if I don't bring my tithe. That's, that's clear. So you, you are right if that's an objection. You don't have to do that. But you would be wise to consider a couple things. One would be the practice of the Jews under the Old Testament, that they would bring their tithe to the temple. So there was that principle. They would bring it to the temple, to the religious organization, the institution they were a part of, their family. And secondly, when you look at the past 2,000 years of church history, um, the get financial gifts were typically brought to your local parish, your local diocese, your local... That's what they used to call it back in the day. Now we would call it congregation. So this is a long-standing tradition. I mean, um, and something that I've... Uh, a Chesterton quote that I shared with Chris... I don't know why Pastor Chris loved this quote, so I'm going to share it with you. But Chesterton's quote was this. When, when one comes and finds a fence... Before he tears it down, he'd be wise to ask, why was the fence put up in the first place? Right? So when you find a fence, instead of going, hey, rip the fence down, you might want to ask, why'd they build the fence? Right? So why has this been the tradition? Well, it's been the tradition for 2,000 years. So if you're not going to bring the tithe to the local church, ask that question carefully, study it, and be clear. Um, we believe the tithe goes to the local church we're a part of. When you graduate and you move to Tampa and you become a part of a church there, you move to uh, Austin, your tithe would then go to that local church. That, that would be your new spiritual family. Okay, so I want to transition here and kind of land this, this plane. I'm having a lot of fun today. I hope you guys are learning something. I've got a few more things I want to talk about. I'm going to change direction now from the origin of tithing, why you should tithe, to what happens within your life when you do tithe, scripturally. This is what God does in you when you tithe, and it's also something experientially that Tammy and I have seen in our own lives. Um, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Um, and by the way, I'm reading from the New American Standard 1995 version, the inspired one. None of this modern stuff. So um, let me set the historical background, uh, and I don't want to spend too much time because, you know, I want you to pay attention. So I don't want to lose you. Israel is required to tithe, but they had stopped. They were not honoring God with their tithe. And so Malachi is a prophet. And God used Malachi to bring a prophetic rebuke to the whole people of Israel. Remember my sermon, Blind Spots? Have any of your core group members been rebuking you? Good. Rebuke each other in love and point out the blind spots. So um, Malachi was pointing out a huge blind spot in the people of Israel. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are 
robbing me? The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Very interesting here. Malachi is pointing out a blind spot in the people and God is letting them know that they're robbing him. And I don't remember any other passage in Scripture where this is used. There's two things I've never seen, as far as I can remember, where God would accuse somebody that you are robbing me. So by not bringing the tithe, it was robbing God. And then the second thing is, test me. Did you catch that? The Lord looked at them, because he knows it's hard to tithe. And he's like, test me. Test me. Bring the tithe and watch what happens. Well, what did God say would happen if the people of Israel would bring the whole tithe? Let's read it again. I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. I love that image of the waterfall, and that's why I put it up there, because it just artistically expressed to me this continual, overflowing, refreshing blessing in my family that Tammy and I have had from the beginning of our crazy life of faith, beginning of our life of tithing. It is a blessing. We put him to the test, and I'm telling you, he has done it. Since my, a couple stories. I got to tell you a story about my dad. Love my dad. He's going to be 87 years old. Sicilian, uh, 100% Sicilian. He's like a Sicilian hobbit. Raised Catholic, um, good, you know, good family, raised in the church, but doesn't, you know, does not understand. He still doesn't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm 52. He doesn't get it. Um, I remember talking to him about I'm going to go into ministry and be a, a campus missionary. How are you going to get paid? I said, well, I'm just going to live by faith. Oh, you're going to live by faith. I'm not, I don't have any faith. <laughs> okay, what do you mean? You're going to live by faith? Uh, yes, I'm going to live by faith. Uh, I, I mean, we got churches, Dad, and there's people that will hear what we're doing. I'll talk about my vision, my dream, and they'll become ministry partners, and they will pray for us and financially invest in our dream. I don't understand that. Go to the factory, get a job. That's what my dad did. He worked at a factory 45 years. Super responsible, great guy. I was, that was 1992. A couple years ago, we're at my house, and my dad is just looking around. It's all gray now gray hair on the ears. That'll never happen to me, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's not gray. Uh, and uh, my dad, he's an observer, and so I don't know if anybody, any of you are like that, but my dad's the kind of guy, if, if Tammy puts up like a new um, picture, my dad will notice it. Is anybody like that? Yeah. I mean, he'll be like, oh, Tammy put a new picture out. He loves the whole artist. He's, he's like Sasha. Sasha notices everything. So my dad's in there. He's looking at everything. Wow. And, and then he said something. He said, because he still doesn't even know how I get money. <laughs> After 30 years, he doesn't get it. He goes, I don't know how you guys do it, but, man, you're blessed. You know? I said, well, yeah, overflowing blessing. 
we made a decision as a young man, as a Jacob, as a young woman, we're going to honor God with our wealth. We're going to honor him with our tithe. And he's poured out a blessing, and he continues. And this has led me to um, kind of call this Malachi blessing. This is something I stole from another pastor, so I'm, I can't take credit. I stole it from Pastor Dave Williams. But it's called this. This is the principle. More to live, more to give. That's what God's calling you to. More to live and more to give. It's not wrong to live and to enjoy life and to buy whatever, a new iPhone or, you know, that's fine. But it's, it's not the highest ideal. It's not the end of the story. God has also entrusted wealth to you to give. More to live and more to give. And the great thing is when you embark on this journey of tithing, you'll find that it just, it's, it's exponential. It's exponential blessing. It be greater and greater and greater, and you have more to give and more to live and more to give and more to live, and it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, now, more to live, more to give, but you might still have another objection in your mind, so we're going to look at potential objection number three. You ready? Uno, due, tre. Number three. Tithing was taught in the Old Testament, and it doesn't apply to us now. We live in the New Testament age, Okay. Well, the problem with that is that Jesus told you to tithe. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did. Let's look at Matthew 23, 23. So Matthew 23, 23 is a very famous passage, and, and many of you have heard it, but I think we sometimes, we, we miss what's being said. So Jesus is rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy. The entire context of Matthew 23 is, is our Lord rebuking the hypocrite the hypocritical Pharisees, okay? Well, we're just going to look at one verse, 23, 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. I love herbs. Um, wait, let me be careful what I'm saying here. What I mean by this, it's so sad that I have to clarify in today's world. Uh, you gener- shine like Jesus among your generation. They need you. They do. They need people like you. Oh, man, the Holy Spirit is so much more enjoyable than any drug, any alcohol. It's just, I've been down that road. It's stupid. Okay, I've grown herbs like mint and oregano and basil. Mint leaves, have you ever seen a mint plant? Mint is beautiful. I love to just rub it in my fingers, smell it. I lo- they're, they're little. Well, these Pharisees were tithing on mint. I don't know. Did they have a, a, a scale, a metric scale? I don't know how they did it, but they were literally separated into tenths, and they were taking a tenth for the Lord and 90 for me, a tenth for the Lord and a 90 for me. They were tithing on mint. And Jesus, but... They were neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so what the Lord is doing is rebuking them and saying, you're acting righteous because you're tithing on little mint leaves, but you're not showing mercy to people. But did Jesus say, don't tithe? No. Look what he said. Let's read it again. He said, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. He didn't say you shouldn't tithe. He said, you should have tithed. But you shouldn't neglect what's even more important, 
justice, mercy, righteousness. Now, some people might hear this, and, I, and I, this has been thrown around in Christian circles. Well, yes, Jesus did tell them to tithe, but he was telling the Pharisees to tithe under the Old Testament. But you have to look at the context of Matthew 23. You look at Matthew 23, verse 1, it says that the people that Christ addressed in this discourse were the crowds and his disciples. That's who he was talking to. He was speaking to his disciples. And he was trying to teach them a lesson. You know, like, don't, like, guys, Peter, John, don't be like that. Sure, you should tithe, but don't neglect mercy and justice and faithfulness. That's more, that's the most important thing. That's where the rubber meets the road. So, so I hope that that, that objection, you know, I, I'm answering it sufficiently. And if you want to talk more about it, we can. But let me just kind of bring a conclusion here. We're going to, I'm going to land the, the plane. Are you ready? Here we go. Uh, let's have the worship band come on up, and uh, we're going to enter into a time of worship and just celebrate God. I do a couple things I want to say. First, I am so proud of you guys for giving. I mean, you, I've said this before, and I, I just need to affirm you. Our missions giving is an example for the whole nation for Chi Alpha. S seriously. Um, we will probably give this year because of you guys, all of us, students, staff, alumni, we'll probably give $20,000, $25,000 to missionaries all over the world. Can you believe that? We're not a huge church. I mean, you know, it's not like we got 5,000 people here. That's, you guys are doing that. And so, uh, man, Tammy and I are so proud of you. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, what an example. And so I don't want this message to come across as, you know, Justin, you sinner, you're not giving. I'm not saying that. I mean, I am proud of you guys. You're doing, you're gracious. That's amazing. I just want to help you build a whole understanding, a financial foundation for your life because you're young, you're going to get married, you're going to have kids. We want you to understand how to, to, to run your home according to godly principles. And that foundation is the tithe. And then you build on top of the tithe missions and almsgiving and, and more to live and more to give and more to live and more to give to the very ends of the earth. It's amazing. So Anyway, um, yeah, I, I pray that this was helpful. Looking forward to taboo topic number two. Talk about sex and dating. Children, plug your ears. Um, no, it's going to be good. We're really looking forward to it. We're gonna, I'm going to talk about that in two weeks. And then on the third week, we're going to have a panel discussion about dating and how to live out sexual purity in the midst of dating relationships. Sound good? Awesome. Okay, can we stand together? Let's, let's go into a time of worship. I'll just uh, close this in prayer, and then you guys can take it away, do your thing. So, Father, we thank you so much for your blessing in our lives, and we want to honor you with every area. We don't want to hold anything back, and so we give you this area of money. Help us, teach us to use it wisely, to be people that understand what it means to be generous and to live a life that is um, biblical, uh, understanding tithing and missions and almsgiving and practicing these things. And, and Lord, may this blessing go down upon these uh, wonderful people here, their future spouses, their children, and their children's children as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.